This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Absolutely thrilled to have our next guest, author of the brilliant It's Better to Be Feared, the New England Patriots Dynasty and the Pursuit of Greatness from uh, late in 2021, by the way, which won all sorts of awards, the Nonfiction Book of the Year, of course, Illustrated, National Sports Media Association Book of the Year. Uh, Sandy, you refer to it as the definitive a piece oh, it, on, on the it, New England it, Patriots it, it, era. I've, I've read a bunch of books, but this is the definitive piece on the New England Patriots dynasty. Well, we are thrilled to have the author of that book, working for ESPN's Seth Wickersham. Seth, you wrote a piece that was the lead story on ESPN.com yesterday about New Denver Bronco coach Sean Payton. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's a it's my pleasure, and you know I'm just wondering do I do I have to actually say anything? I mean, you guys can keep going on and on about <laughs> you know, how much you like my book if you if you want. I'll well, I'll happily I'll sit in the front we, row. We are it. we aren't the only ones who like your book, and uh, we we know that uh, you have profiled Sean Payton. I and I, I'm saying I've read a lot of stuff, and I'm sure you have too over the years about Sean Payton, but uh, you got. More out of him, I will say this definitively. You got more out of him than anybody around here has gotten out of him in the last <laughs> six months or so uh, since he was named head coach. Obviously, it's uh, closer to nine months uh, than six. But uh, the title of your book on the Patriots, It's Better to Be Feared. Uh, does Sean Payton believe in that notion, in your yeah. opinion? That's a really interesting question. You know, I, I think, yes, I think that there is a part of him that does. But I don't think that he – look, he and Belichick both come from, you know, the Parcells tree, right, which um, is both fabulously successful and leads to men with spectacularly unhealthy lives. <laughs> but, um, you know, but I think that Sean coaches – that system within his own personality. And I think he's much more, I think he's much more transparently optimistic. Um, I, I think Belichick is an optimist after he is a pessimist. Yeah. And I'm not sure that Parcells ever feels optimism. I'm not sure he no. knows what that means, but you know, when he, in, in context of him taking over the Broncos, look, when Denver hired him, they were hiring a shock to the system. I mean, they were hiring people who, someone who was not going to get along with everybody and was going to rub a lot of people the wrong way and who brought a program that was based on fundamentally different things than the past couple head coaches. Um, And, you know, I think that there's a healthy amount of fear that I'm sure that he enjoys having, but I don't think that that's, I don't think it's, that's his main thing. Like I, I saw him speak to the team, um, both to the, the, the entire squad and to the offense. And, you know, his meetings are different than I think a lot of Belichick's meetings. And in some ways they're the same, but I don't think that he's necessarily trying to instill fear. I think he's trying to see, you know, who can, who's a good enough player to play football to win, you know, the 63% of games that he's won over the course of his career and to help win a Super Bowl. 
So as we, we saw Sean Payton lay down the law in his opening press conference about the idea that, that Russell Wilson had had kind of his own run of the Broncos facility, his own office, all of those other uh, accoutrements that he's no longer allowed to have. The part in your story, of course, where it also made it clear that he laid down the law with Russell Wilson. What I found fascinating, though, is after watching these couple of guys and, and Wilson the year prior, their desire personally seems to be the same thing. They are both immensely concerned with their legacy. They both envision themselves in Canton, and they are both concerned that they won't get there. And yet both of them seem to have habits that place obstacles within their own path. And so I was sort of struck by the fact that there are more similarities between these two men, even though they come at things very differently than you might see at first blush. Maybe. You know, I think that... um you know, it's hard to say a little bit. I think that like both of them clearly are unfinished. Like, you know, Sean Payton didn't come to Denver um, because he wanted to, you know, write it out and, um, you know, try to make it to Canton based on his New Orleans credentials. And if things work out in Denver, well, that'd be great too. And right. he came to win. And I mean, yeah. he told me, you know, he, he's been so jaded and has so many scars over the years, both real and imagined um, through wars with the league office. And, you know, he told me that, you know, he wanted to go somewhere. One of the reasons why he left New Orleans, because he got tired of the feeling like that he was losing jump balls in this game. Right. That the league didn't care about the Saints. And... I thought that was fascinating. I mean, those are some deep, deep, deep scars. And one of the things that made the Broncos appealing was the fact that they have this new ownership group, um, very wealthy ownership group, obviously. Yes. And that the league, you know, is invested in their success and wants them to do well. Now, you know, I don't know if that translates to anything on the field, but he believes that and he needs to believe that. And I thought that was a fascinating, fascinating statement. You know, until this summer, the last time that we had talked at length, Sean and I was in um, January of 22, and he was about to step down from the Saints, but he he had this study that the Saints had done that showed that the Saints basically could not draw a penalty. Like, it was a rankings of penalties drawn over the previous four years or whatever it was. And the, the Saints were at the bottom of the league, and it, you know, Given the offense and the passing and the and the rule changes, they could not draw a flag, and he right. couldn't believe that. It just confirmed pick one suspicions, conspiracy, persecution, reality, whatever it might be. It was cemented in his head, and a couple of weeks after that, he just he was never stepping down to retire from coaching. It ended up working out that way that he was out for a year, but he was stepping down to try to find a franchise that he thought, again, might have a chance at, at some of those jump balls. What you're talking about, and I think I have this right, 30th, 31st, 32nd, and 32nd, obviously yeah. 32nd would be dead last, in the years 18, 19, 20, and 21. And they were the yeah. only team in the bottom five uh, in penalties for four straight years since something like 2006. So I, I I can see why that might have triggered something in him. But I want to ask you about those grievances, because as I read the piece, uh, in a couple of instances, at least a couple, 
I found myself sort of agreeing with him. I think all-star officiating crews in the playoffs are stupid. <laughs> I, I mean, to break up crews that have been working together all, all year. And I actually agree with his point on that. And also, uh, I happen to know <laughs> more about this uh, than most people because I have someone uh, who's not exactly a mole, but pretty closely connected with, uh, with the organization. I, and, and you a wrote mole. about this. Uh, no, I said he wasn't exactly a mole. <laughs> mole has kind of a pejorative connotation. Somewhat. Uh, but someone who, who would know, and you wrote about this, the whole misrepresentation that in his first interview with the Broncos, there was a power struggle that he was involved in. And I know that's not true. And the reporting kind of suggested that that was one, that's how people interpreted it initially that he you know it's power struggle during an interview well it's the coach who's part of the power struggle uh when in fact it was much more of a case of two of the owners engaged in a power struggle that played out in front of Peyton and I would have been annoyed by that too if that was out there and all over the place now I I don't know if I would have gone so far as he did to suspect that a league person uh, maybe even the commissioner leaked that to the Washington Post. But it's interesting when you write about his grievances, uh, his paranoia. Um, I guess my question would be, is he on firm ground on at least some of that stuff? And, yeah, eventually he's got to let it go, but that's part of what makes him who he is and drives him and that drive is what the Broncos hired. Well, they're both unbelievably painful and kind of hilarious, right? Yes. Yes. There's, you have everything from the spectrum of the NOLA no call in the NFC championship game that cost him a, a chance at a second Super Bowl to him in new Orleans giving someone in a suit an evil eye for a year and a half and stationed <laughs> on the sideline and not realizing that he's thinking he's a, that this guy's a league spy. Right. And he didn't realize that the guy was the concussion specialist for the game. <laughs> and he goes up and apologizes to him. <laughs> so I think that these grievances pile up to the point where, you know, they're just his reality. And, yeah. you know, what he told me was that, he's going to, you know, learn to let go better. And he's going to not waste so much um, of his battery life um, on these things. And, you know, we both know that that's easier said than done. And in fact, um, you know, Bill Parcells, who knows exactly how Sean's wired, told me before he took the Broncos job, he said, you know where the effing landmines are, avoid them. (laughs) And, you know, here we have, I, I was, I was in Denver two weeks ago and I'm with Sean in his office and he's, he's pissed off. It hasn't been a very good practice. Right. I, not, we remember the practice. Move. We, we remember it, that practice. It wasn't a very good. Move. It wasn't very and good. Yeah. He, he picks up his, you know, he's kind of looking at, to find things to distract himself a little bit to, you know, he, he, he can't control the thing that he's angriest about in the moment. So he's trying to control the things he can't control. And, 
he's kind of going through menial tasks. And one of them was a call to the league office about something completely trivial. And he asked that it remain off the record, right. which is fine. But it wasn't the thing that was the, the big, you know, there wasn't the thing that was revealing. The thing that was revealing was that he was calling the league about this and feeling kind of feisty. <laughs> and so I asked him, I'm like, well, how does this square with avoiding the landmine? Yeah. And I thought he, he put down his phone and you know, the, the head coach's office, it overlooks the practice yeah, field sure. down there in Dove Valley. And I mean, I thought he was going to kick my ASS <laughs> right out of there. Right. And, you know, instead he kind of smiles and you could see a little bit of gray in his hair. And it was, it was a kind of the smile of someone who kind of knew he had been busted. And he was yeah. like, well, you know, sometimes I look for the landmines. We're talking to Seth Wickersham of ESPN and, and I, I'm listening to your stories and, and the answers here. And my thought is if you are looking for conspiracies or shadows around every corner, more of them seem to turn up when you're not a good football team. And the Denver Broncos haven't been one for a few years. Sean Payton had to know that that's what he was getting into, right? Um, you know, I, well, of course, I mean, look, he knows that they've had, you know, how many press conferences introducing new coaches, Quite since, a few. you know, Kubiak stepped down. Yeah. Um, you know, he knows that there's problems there. Right. And, you know, he knows that he's being brought in as a device to, you know, be a disruptor and um you know the which is you know you make a lot of money doing that and there's a lot of glory that comes with it and a lot of power but it's also you put a lot of on you know on your shoulders and i think that he believes in this team i think that he likes a lot of elements from this team you know he's he's optimistic but i also think that he has his moments where you know all of those doubts creep in and he's really interesting. You know, he, he told me that like during the season, um, win or lose Monday, Tuesday, and like part of into Thursday, he is just a, it's like, watch out, get out of his way. <laughs> he's in a bad mood. He's miserable. He kind of is scared that he's had his last good idea. And, you know, it's sometimes hard to see a way to another win. And then, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, he's a night owl, which is kind of interesting. It's very different than most head coaches, right? most co football coaches, period. But, like, you know, during those those quiet hours, his, his creative process kicks in, and he really is able to see things clearly and get himself to a good place for Sunday. And I think that um, – I think he's optimistic about this team. You know, I, I really do. And um, – I think he really wants them to get off to a good start. Not, not just for the obvious reasons, but you know, when he was in new Orleans, they got off to a three and O start the first, year, first yeah. year. Yeah. And you know, I think that that just, it not only got everyone on board, but it also gave everyone some confidence. And I think that, um, you know, I think he likes a lot of the players on this team and he wants them to improve and he thinks he can win with them. And, you know, maybe that's the, the spell of training camp that infects every coach and fan base. But um, no, I think he, I think he has a lot of optimism about this team and he wants them to perform well. And he knows that as the head coach, you know, he, he's not a play call. He's not just a play caller. They didn't hire him for a playbook. They hired yeah. him 
to run the building. And um, it, it, it falls on him. Yes. Uh, and it's interesting that the history of Bronco coaches has vacillated between total control and total submission and not much in between. And, and obviously the most yeah. recent three coaches they hired before Peyton, they're all first time head coaches and they didn't give a spit about the draft or anything. They just wanted to coach ball. And yeah. of course, then you had Dan Reeves and Mike Shanahan in particular, who had total authority. Um, well, and, and Josh McDaniels and Josh McDaniels. <laughs> exactly. Who didn't even necessarily ask for it, but got it anyway. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was weird. Yeah. That Parcells tree, you know, and it's like, obviously in the eighties, there's a jockeying for, you know, who's the, who was the best, who was the most influential. You got the Gibbs system, you got the Walsh system, yep. you got the Parcells system. And, you know, the Walsh and the Parcell system are head coach centric. They are not the same as like the Baltimore Ravens, for instance, no, where, or the no. Seattle Seahawks, where it right. is a genuine partnership. You know, yeah. it's like they have one voice for the organization. And Shanahan was very similar, even though he, you know, learned under Reeves, learned under the 49ers, brought a lot of that to Denver. McDaniels obviously comes straight from Belichick where yep. he's, you know, a little too influenced by Bill Belichick, obviously. Yes. And, you know, Sean is that the same way. I mean, this is a, this is a head coach based system and what he needs out of the personnel department is to find players that he wants that fit the systems that he wants to run. And I think that, you know, that's a fundamentally different type of thing than a lot of the, the shotgun marriages you see around the league. Um, but, you know, Mickey Loomis told me, you know, he considers him his best friend. He was his GM in, in New Orleans. And he's like, look, he is hard on the staff. Oh, yeah. And he has been. And he's alienated a lot of people in the building. There's a tension there. You kind of – you can feel people walking around on eggshells a little bit around him. He can be a little Jekyll and Heidi. But he's great with the players. I witnessed that firsthand. And he, he also just – he knows what it looks like. He's flexible. He knows a lot of offense and defensive football, and he knows how to build schemes around the talent base that he has. And so even though he's obviously famous for his offense, and you guys have watched him over the years, I mean, he looks physically ill when they have to settle for a field yeah. goal, sometimes, sometimes yeah. more than after a loss. But like right. they, hired a total, they, hired a, they hired a total head coach. Well, he's, t- he's good at touchdowns. We know that because you had it in the yeah. piece. 807 touchdowns in 16 years in New Orleans. That's uh, a record total for any team over a 16-year period. And he watched all of them. You know, he, yeah. he, and he forgot a lot of the plays that he had run. And I, I watched this team meeting. He was really frustrated with the, with the team because they were running screen passes against the Rams in practice and the receivers weren't blocking downfield. And it was just pissing him off because that's the difference between an eight-yard gain and a touchdown. Right. And he showed – the screen passes that they had run with the saints, all these touchdowns, 60, 40 yard touchdowns on screen passes, touchdowns that mattered in big games, like the NFC championship game. And it was fascinating to watch him in that meeting because he entered it pissed off. And then, you know, when he got to see his artwork and he got to remember a lot of the plays that he had run, that he had forgotten that might work this year. Right. Um, 
you know, you saw someone who has a heck of a lot of pride, I think. And um, it, it's going to be a fascinating experiment this year. It really is. Yes, uh, thank and thank you for the time. Last one for you then in that regard. Look, if, mm-hmm. if the Broncos turn around and start winning immediately, everything's good. My question is, after taking the measure of the man, if the Denver Broncos hover around 500 and don't make up the playoffs, uh, how is Sean Payton going to handle this season? Yeah, and they might. Yes, quite frankly, we expect that that's exactly what will happen. We both have them at eight and nine and missing it. Yeah, and, um, you know, again, I think that he – he can be emotional like a lot of coaches and and feel like there's no way out. And then I think he kind of comes around. And, you know, people – you know, obviously there's a, there's a theme in my story about how, you know, he struggles to let go of things yep. and that's true, but he also manages to actually let go in a global way very well. Like, you know, look, he gets the saints to the super bowl. They win the super bowl the next year. He thought that was their best team. Actually, they lose in the playoffs. Yeah. He suspended a year for bounty. He comes back, builds, gets a couple more playoff seasons out of that team has a couple mediocre years, and then he gets them back to being a Super Bowl contender where they lost, you know, all those playoff games in just, you know, heartbreaking fashion, yeah. you know? And he he does know how to bounce back and how to improve a team. And I think that, like, the Saints team that he walked away from, obviously Drew Brees had retired, but it was a good team. You know, he put together some good players on that team, he and Loomis, and – so if they if the Broncos finish around 500 and they're out of the playoffs, I'm sure that for a couple of weeks he's going to be a pretty miserable person. He'll probably sit in bed a lot, order a lot of food, yeah. order Junk ice food. cream, yeah. yeah, watch Netflix all night. Yeah, but you know, come the draft, he'll be ready and the team will be ready. He is Seth Wickersham, the uh, outstanding author of uh, not only the, the terrific portrait of Sean Payton. Go check that out. The uh, title of it on ESPN was the lead story yesterday. Is Sean Payton doesn't forget anything. And uh, while you're at it, like, go check out. It's better to be feared than New England Patriots dynasty in the pursuit of greatness. Award-winning author Seth Wickersham joins us here prior to a, a pivotal season for the Denver Broncos with a terrific view at their new head coach. Seth, really appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck and have fun this season. Great talking to you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Seth. Thanks so much. Uh, a lot of insight there, a lot oh, to unpack, man. and uh, a, a lot of things I think that we learned that weren't even necessarily uh, in in the story about the Broncos' new head coach. What does that mean for the Broncos? We'll uh, react to that next on Miley Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. The opportunity to speak with Seth Wickersham, pretty pretty exciting, obviously, and we got great stuff from him. You know, I I wrote down a couple of quotes immediately as he was answering them. One of those talking about Peyton saying, he has so many scars, real and imagined. I think you t- you clearly take that from the piece. Oh, but yeah. even talking about the idea that he believed that uh, that they were getting bad calls from the league, it was yes. intentional. That in real time, and they couldn't draw penalties with an offense, which that is was basically one of the most 
Uh, I'm not putting words in Sean Payton's mouth, offense. but essentially fixing games against the Saints? Well, I mean, when you're talking about referees is, intentionally uh, making the wrong call or not making calls, that's uh, what you're getting into. Not making calls. Not making calls that would favor the Saints, uh, particularly on offense. They were not drawing penalties. And, you know, they did the research, and they were 30th, 31st, last and last between 2018 2021, over a four-year period. And they're the only team in the bottom five and uh, penalties drawn for four straight years going back to 2006. Uh, you know, I, given what had happened after the 18 season and, and, and in the subsequent years, I, I could see him wanting that uh, wanting to point that out. And they did point that out and they never got a response from the league at all. No response. No response, which furthered his notion that uh, he and the league. But I'll play devil's advocate. If I'm the league, I'm not going to dignify that with a response at all, and I get that. But it, but it's fascinating but it's because unusual. this is <laughs> yeah, you'd be well, ranked, it is. and you're but the first team in more than a decade. Commonality is not causality, well, and and, the, know, and they were running a high speed offense that I, had guys running walks. They I, were loaded. I know, I know, but that's the very kind of offense that's going to draw penalties. You would think. Well, do you think that? Do you, you think the league think. was? You do you agree with Sean Payton? The league was well. I don't telling know. the referees I, don't, I don't call. Know. They don't did call the research. Rep. I admit they did the research, and I would think. I mean, I can be cynical, but I don't. The responsible buy it. thing for the league to do was to have some kind of response to that, given that it hadn't happened to any team in more than a decade. Because maybe in, even look. In, uh, in, inability to draw penalties. I I think of an offense like the Broncos had last year as an offense that wouldn't draw many penalties. Right. That I can, okay, I can see that. This is one of the high-octane offenses in the league during that four-year period. Well, Mostly with Drew Brees and they I get can't it. draw penalties. But, they can't but draw you brought up the re- main reason I would say, no, that's not the case, and here's why. Because, despite some coaches who would love you to think so, the NFL does not market its game based on the coaches on the sidelines. They, ba- they market their games based on the players in between them. And... In that span of time, the Saints had arguably one of the two or three most famous, most loved, and most likable players in the NFL in Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. A guy that helped carry the flag for the league and, and brought them attention and brought them a ton of money and popularity. That's how but, the listen, I, that's I, how the NFL tends listen, to work. You want to know how the okay. NFL works? Maybe there's some, yeah, I get the sausages I, made in weird ways, but I follow the money. I do. The money says Drew Brees made them a lot of cash. They're not going to sandbag Drew Brees. Al Davis was paranoid. Sean Payton is paranoid. Um, Al Davis hated Pete Rozelle, uh, hated the league, thought the league was messing with him all the time. And there's a litany of examples in this piece of Payton complaining about things that well, Wickersham just told us about over, over a period of time. Kind of getting busted on. outline uh, over a period of time and... Uh, you know, nothing happened, and that made him angrier. There was no response rather than some lame response. I think he would have preferred the lame response. And, and that maybe. can be a little bit of maybe the personal spat. I, look, I have no doubt that Roger Goodell and yeah, Sean Payton don't listen, like each other. I can listen, see that. maybe, maybe Drew Brees is just too good. Gets rid of the ball fast so people don't rough him up as much, I guess. But we all know quarterbacks who are protected 
like Tom Brady was, who got well, flags thrown in their favor all the time anytime somebody breathed on him. Well, Brady was that also really more about the case. Let me let me define a point. Brady was um a better I almost used a word that began with W. Brady was more of a politician to the referees when uh, requesting flags than Drew Brees. How's that? Is that a better way of saying it than the W word I was going to say? Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, the, the Broncos, the high-flying offenses of Peyton rhymes Manning. With, rhymes with finer. In thir- and 12, 13, and 14, they drew a ton of penalties. A ton of penalties. And I... I I just think it's odd that well, if that's the case, Broncos the fans better look out. Offense in the league can't draw penalties, and I'm not saying it's conspiratorial. Roger Goodell's still the commissioner. I'm saying it's weird, and I defy you to find an offense as good as that one was, and including those four years that couldn't draw penalties. It's it's just weird. I'm not saying it's conspiratorial, but if you just sketched out over those four years, and I told you there's going to be one team in the league that couldn't draw penalties over those four-year period, that four-year period, they were third from the bottom, second from the bottom, and at the bottom all four years. You'd have to name a lot of teams before you got to the New Orleans Saints as a as a suspect as the team that was singularly unable to draw penalties with with the kind of offense. You, you pick teams with bad offenses. Bad offenses don't draw penalties. Not usually. That's why they're bad offenses. One of the reasons. Well, it's because they don't mount a threat and teams don't right. feel they have to do anything extracurricular so to, to stop them. them. Right. right. You don't have to foul them. And, but there are all kinds of things that it, it, it just, it's, it's something I, uh, we don't follow the Saints. Uh, and certainly didn't game by game over that four-year no, period. No. It, it just seems odd. And I, I did find myself honestly in agreement <clears throat> with some of his complaints. But the thing that makes him interesting, and I think for people who are predisposed to like him, there's a lot of stuff in the piece mm-hmm. that makes you like him more. For people who don't like him as much, and I think we're, we're kind of uh, – uh, Different in, in in you you uh like Dion a little more than I do, uh, and I don't know Dion personally any more than no, I know no, Sean I, I'm not saying you, you you just his presentation is something you're drawn to maybe a little more than I am, and I'm I'm kind of drawn to Peyton in a little more positive mm-hmm. way maybe than oh, you that's are fair. yeah, uh, but there's ammunition also for people who have a predisposition On both of those coaches to, to believe that he's not all that and there's plenty of evidence in this piece that would make you dislike him perhaps even more uh, than you did i think uh, earlier the and, record speaks for itself you know when I have you no talk about someone coach. who's brilliant uh who is uh, meticulous uh who is ruthless uh, those were the terms that Wickersham used in the book to describe Bill Belichick. I think a lot of that would apply to Sean Payton. And I found myself reading this piece saying, yes, I know Parcells is his mentor, but actually he seems more like Belichick in a lot of ways, not in every way, but in a lot of ways, he seems more like Belichick 
than Parcells. Well, they would stand to reason. I mean, you're talking about just as, you know, children have similarities to their parents, but siblings are more similar than their parents in a lot of cases. It'd be the same thing. You're, you're really coaching with a contemporary for the most part. Uh, you're learning the same lessons, but you're also younger and, and dealing with a different situation, and you're more likely to be similar. That wouldn't surprise me. Eddie seemingly is tireless. You might throw that in, too. Even Belichick, I thought we didn't get into it, but I thought the the funniest part of the piece is when Belichick calls him a few years back when New Orleans is in London, but Belichick clearly has forgotten that, and it's about 6 o'clock Eastern time. Belichick calls Peyton, their friends, and says, what are you doing? And Peyton says, I'm watching film. And at first, Belichick doesn't think that's very unusual because he, he assumes it's different time zone, but it's only an hour difference or whatever, maybe no difference at all. Uh, and then as the conversation goes on, he, really, he, he, he finally realizes, well, wait a minute, he's, he's not in New Orleans. Yeah, Where I the hell him. are you? Yeah. And and Peyton says, I'm in London. And Belichick says, it's three in the morning. What are you doing? This is Bill Belichick thinking another coach is crazy. Yeah, like turn it to down be a little bit, at buddy. Film at two or three in the morning. This is Bill Belichick saying this. So uh, yeah. It, it I I think he he is he comes off as having more dimensions. Uh, you know, there's even the little story at the beginning of the piece about uh, his playing golf with his buddies, including John Elway and Wayne Gretzky right. out in Idaho. Good work if you can get and it. And he hits, he hits a ball offline that goes into the bushes, and it's a lost ball. And he's driving a cart, and Wickersham is with him. And he says, that's the worst bleeping thing in the world to lose a golf ball. And I'm thinking, I don't make Sean Payton's money. I lose golf balls. And it isn't the worst thing that happens to me when I lose a golf ball. I figure I'm good for at least half a dozen ridiculously bad shots I around. I lose the golf ball. Right. And when it lands right. in the fairway, so I'm pretty psyched. And Peyton, got to flip saying, your, you know, and, and Peyton admits he's not a great golfer. And he said, oh, that's the worst thing in the world to lose a golf ball. And I said, I, can, I think you could probably afford to buy a new sleeve. Yeah, even and if those are the moments when you're like, oh, during the yeah. course of a round. You can probably afford to replace those six you lost the, without straining yourself. It, 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 and it, it's an excellent portrait, and that's really what it is. It's a portrait. You get, you get a good, well-rounded picture of the coach, and we'll find out. Uh, there's no doubt about, uh, about the football mind. The personality is... Is interesting. I, I, my, I, I'm fascinated to see how it goes because at least in my experience, take that for what it is, people who expect to find enemies tend to find enemies. <laughs> that's yeah. That's the only thing I guess I would well, say about the, that. And the interesting thing too, quickly before we break, is that he doesn't mind. Having them, he he's not a guy who spends a lot of time thinking about. I know I've had problems with this guy, but I'm going to turn him into a friend. Uh, clearly, not with Goodell and with some of the owners that they talk about in the piece who recommended to Tom Benson that he fire Sean Payton after Bounty Gate. The next time he sees them, the late Jerry Richardson of Charlotte, who later had his own. Problems, uh yes, and of course 
uh, Dan Rooney, the, the owner at that time of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, and he made it a point of going up to them the next time they <laughs> saw them just to make sure they knew he knew that they tried to get him fired. They recommended to Benson that he get fired. And said, I really appreciate your support. Thanks. And they both got the message. <laughs> I I, I kind of like that, actually. I don't think it is a terribly healthy reaction, but I kind of liked it. And then he did the same thing with Troy Vincent, even though Troy Vincent, the NFL executive who's at the head of the competition committee that Peyton served mm-hmm. on for, for a while, uh, Troy Vincent actually told the owners here that he would recommend hiring Sean Payton, but Vincent and Payton had had problems before, and Payton doesn't let go of things. And he assumed that if Vincent talked to the owners, he had nothing good to say. Well, Sean Sean Payton Payton. did have something good to say about the Denver Broncos. He named their captains and, at least in limited fashion, got one of their major playmakers back at practice. Good news down there at Dove Valley. We'll tell you all about it next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, it's here, so why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, you could try your hands with the local book. That's our friends at Superbook Sports this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door, just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code Mile high. That one's easy to remember, isn't it? So bet with the best and use promo code Mile High this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Down at Dove Valley, according to Coach Sean Payton, as uh, he said in his opening statement, quote, we just completed our first full day aside from Monday relative to the Raiders game plan. Well, Good sign there. Jerry Judy was back at practice in limited fashion. He is not. I I know the Broncos currently have him listed as questionable. I mean, spoiler alert, uh, fantasy nerds. He's not playing and uh, he's not going to play. And he's, he's probably not going to play, play next week either. But as, as I told you a couple weeks ago, the Broncos are hopeful and optimistic that they could get him back as soon as week three. That is still the plan. And quite frankly, if Jerry Judy is limited in practice right now, you could make the reasonable assertion that that actually looks like that may indeed be the case, that they may get him back by week three, and that would be great. They also uh, named the team captains were voted on. Uh, probably none of the names would surprise you and some returnees. Uh, Russell Wilson won. Cortland Sutton won as well. Both have been captains before. Justin Simmons as well. Uh, Kareem Jackson, yes. Special teamer is Riley Dixon in this case. But the newcomer... And we heard from him last week and pointed out, actually, that he provided, you thought, a very interesting counterbalance to the way Russell Wilson talked about things. Mike Lynchy voted as one of the team's six captains. So The voice of reason, perhaps. Maybe a good, maybe a good mix there, because Kareem Jackson generally has no issue saying what is on his mind. Justin Simmons and Russell Wilson are wholly positive guys. Cortland Sutton, uh, quite frankly, is a little hard to get much 
depth out of. He's not a, a big talker, at least to the no, media. He's not a big talker. I, I'm, I find him. But there's nothing uh, wrong with that right? either. Uh, oh, absolutely. Just, I wasn't suggesting it's just that. Not it's just his way. Yeah. To, some people to aren't. Give some people you aren't. A lot, but he's very well spoken and uh, reasonable. Uh, but McGlinchey strikes me as, uh, yeah, In, uh, uh, as a yeah. guy who's uh, a little bit. Um, I like the mix. Well traveled, and uh, I, I mean, even though this is only his second team, but I mean, his his whole experience, big uh, publicity coming out of Notre Dame. Not that he generated it, right? But, I mean, top ten draft pick mm-hmm. overall, and someone who I don't think in his own mind ever thought of himself as a big star. He strikes you. Me don't that get way. that impression. I don't get that impression that he's carrying around uh, a lot of. Uh, and that's kind of the uh, the offensive lineman that, that that would be interpreted as boy, this guy certainly loves himself. Uh, Definitely <laughs> yeah. kind of that that to, offensive to lineman an vibe, degree. right? No, you see, he's your veteran offensive lineman who uh, looks at things uh, very analytically and uh, breaks them down. Well, and he gives them an outside it struck perspective, me which last is last year that I thought Brandon McManus was that guy. He was kind of the truth teller who said before the season, uh, you know, and when there was still a lot of optimism, even though the Broncos didn't have exactly a, a electrifying training camp, uh, he is saying, we haven't proven anything yet. None of these guys want anything playing for the Denver Broncos, mm-hmm. including Russell Wilson, by the way. Although right. He didn't say including Russell Wilson. But he said, this is all unproven. We haven't done it yet. We talked about what we'd like to do, but we haven't done anything yet. And he wasn't being mean or nasty. He was just being realistic and giving a sense of it. I know what a championship team looks like, and this team hasn't even been a playoff team for six years. We have a lot to prove. We haven't proven anything. And that that is still the case. And I think, you know, if they have, you know, you say in sports, sometimes you need the right coach at the, at the right moment. And maybe Sean Payton is the right coach. We do know this. Vance Joseph wasn't the right coach at the right time. Vic Fangio wasn't the right coach at the right time. And certainly Nathaniel Hackett was not the right coach at the right time. Maybe Sean Payton will be. Well, there's certainly nowhere to go but up, uh, as as pointed well, out by the way. first time head coach. The last uh, time, now, Urban Myers, and, and the funny thing is, anything that I think gets Urban Meyer off the hook is not a stat that I particularly like. Mm-hmm. But uh, Nathaniel Hackett was the first coach to be fired before the beginning of their first season for football only issues. Before their second season. Yeah, no, during, before oh, the during end of their the first, first season. season. Yeah. You know, yeah, before the end of their first Since season. Since 1978. Yeah. That that was the deal. Uh, that's getting Urban because, Meyer because off the hook because other, he's busy other guys punting kickers. Were, 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 yes. Kicking punters. Were, were kicking whatever, punters, right. punting kickers. Yeah, what a, maybe a little bit of both. Uh, all sorts of uh, unseemly uh, things. Unseemly behavior off the field and uh, so on. And, uh, of course, the kicker I mean, was, the pardon the pun, uh, was that uh, it was revealed I'm sure by a disgruntled assistant coach that um, Urban Meyer had no idea who Aaron Donald was. But you Except literally to say this number 99. He see, looks pretty he looks good. good. We're playing the Rams this week. We better we better game plan on this 99. I don't have any idea who he is, but he looks pretty good to me on film. 
assistant coaches. That's Aaron Donald. He's the best defensive player in the sport. And, and now the second highest paid defensive player in the sport, right. mind well, you, after yeah, Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa. It's the new deal and, today and with the how Niners. How would you like to be Nick Bosa? I would love to At be Nick Bosa. At age 25, and he's the highest paid player in the history of the Sounds league on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Highest paid, highest paid non-quarterback, right. period. Right. So, I mean, obviously, exactly uh, right. big money there. And, and you know what? He deserves every penny. Sure he does. And, Pressure and on the Niners, the, good, though. Good for the 49ers getting it done. Yep, because, because I think there was more pressure on them when he was out. That bill is going to come due. They've got to keep this window you know, open right now. Uh, it, and, and and it may be closing. It now, may, oh, it is. one of the reasons it might stay open a little longer is Nick Bosa's only 25. And Brock Purdy's on a rookie deal. If 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 he can continue the play right. that he is, right. Otherwise, you know, but the the bill always oh, comes yes. due. Eventually, eventually, it does come due. Only four teams, or pardon me, only three teams carried four wide receivers on their fifty-three right now. The Denver Broncos are one of them. Mm-hmm. Jerry Judy's return to practice helps, but he's not going to be active on Sunday. Uh, but but Sean Payton. I think had a very interesting and telling comment. I don't think it was secret. I don't think you have to read between the lines. He said specifically last week after the rosters were set, he said, quote, really, we have 69 players on a team. It's changed a lot. So that added depth for every team. COVID kind of taught us a few things relative to personnel. It's not only helped the clubs, but helped the addition for a lot of players to play and develop. The Broncos are going to do a lot of shuffling guys from the practice squad to the active roster this year, especially at the wide receivers. It's going to happen oh, a lot. Yes. You don't have sure. your normal 53 and then one or two guys. It's going to be regular. And I, I think, again, that's where I, I having a Sean Payton, even though this sort of concept is somewhat new, but having a veteran head coach that understands a little better of here's what I need in today's game, I think puts them in a better position to manage that new reality in the well, NFL. It, it, and there's a cute story in the piece by Seth Wickersham on, uh, uh, I think it was the Super Bowl, in fact, in 2010, and Parcells had become the lead executive of the Miami Dolphins. But he and Peyton are friends, so he comes out, and he's watching practice and making observations, and uh, he and Peyton are talking. And during the course of the practice, uh, the, the Saints are, of course, in the process of developing this young tackle that they didn't even draft, but they think he, he might be a, a real good player. And all of a sudden, a few months later, the Dolphins signed the guy, I think, off the practice squad. And Peyton doesn't remember that Parcells was at the practice. So he's thinking, again, somebody tipped him off, and uh, my goodness, that's not right. And he's looking for people within his own organization who might have leaked something. And somebody finally says, Parcells was at your practice, you know, during the Super Bowl, observing your practice, and this guy was practicing. So he calls Parcells, and Parcells says, never let the wolf in the hen house. <laughs> Good advice for so, sure. Uh, he's learned from that, I think, 13 years later, and I think there'll be a lot of maneuvering, but uh, they'll try to keep things uh, as quiet as possible and certainly not alert the media about guys, I think, even on the practice squad, yeah. that they think they can Well, develop. because remember, you can elevate only a couple, uh, only a handful of times, and then they have to be put through waivers again. So, yeah, the Broncos are going to have to be very careful and very judicious. If you missed any part of the program, remember, you can go to MyLaySports.com or the free MyLaySports app, and if you missed the interview with Seth Wickersham, you should really do that, because uh, terrific stuff 
by the ESPN investigative reporter on Sean Payton today. Very good to have uh, Seth Wickersham join us. Our ace producer, Danny Bailey, landing that uh, interview today. So thanks so much for Danny, not only doing that, but making everything sound good and look good. Thanks to you for listening, whether it's on the FM or the HD radio or, as we pointed out, the aforementioned MileySports.com. I thought uh, you'd website. be a lot more bothered, by the, by the way, very quickly. Oh. About the headline, lead sports story yeah. in the Denver Post today. Colorado TV broadcasts in we don't work in TV. AT&T Sports yeah. Network, Rocky Mountain shutting down in October, although I guess they'll run stuff through the end of the year at least. But uh, where will you find the Colorado Rockies, if anywhere, starting in 2024? We will have to talk about that as well. It is Raiders Week. It is Huskers Week. It is Where's Waldo for the Rockies Week. Yeah. <laughs> we'll Rockies, by the way, the... lost today. Yeah, so they're back did they, did they do that losses. often? I haven't checked. They, uh, we'll be back at it the rest of the week. Thanks to Seth Wickersom so much for joining us. They have good guests lined up for the rest of the week as well, too. For Danny Bailey and Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. But in the meantime, keep it right here on My Life Sports.